0: the name of the podcast humanizing success i'm so excited to be here was there a moment where your head kind of shifted from me to us i was starting to think about what the meaning of my life is it was just a matter of time because every once in a while we need to check in with ourselves i don't know that most people truly know what they want to do from a really young age experience is the
1: hardest kind of feature it gives you the test first and the lesson after.
0: There's so many things around us that we can't control. You are in control of how you march
1: forward from that point on and you can decide what your journey is going to be. I don't
0: have to just accept what's given to me and I can question and push back on things. And that's what I think true success is. Hello, I'm your host Jake Bennon, and welcome back to the Humanizing Success podcast. Where we look for the meaning of success, as well as share people's different paths and stories, as well as journeys on how they arrived to success. So today, we have a—you uh, guys are in for a real treat. We <laughs> have the pleasure of speaking to Michelle Rodri. So Michelle's story is one of survival and perseverance in the face of tragedy, as well as uh, good times and bad, and. It's it's hard to comprehend and imagine um, for me at this age and in, in this point with the comforts I have around me, the life that she's been through. Uh, she's a Holocaust survivor, an incredible mother, grandmother, and dear friend of mine and my family's. And uh, yeah, just feel lucky to know her. Thank so, you. So um, welcome. Thank you. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing fine. Good. I mean, I'm I'm not even intimidated.
0: Good, good. You should be. Just <laughs> just a conversation between two people. Yeah. Um, so the question I usually start out with, with most people on the podcast, is what the, the podcast is about, which is what is your definition or meaning of success? What does that mean to you?
1: Uh, well, success in my life, you mean?
0: Um, or success yeah, in general in general, so it could be financially it could be with as a mother it could be well
1: I think that uh, the the success the success that i i uh, I think is is terrific is when a young person starts out in life and finds the right partner and then finds everything that he wants to do with her mm-hmm. I'm talking about a gentleman of course sure. about a man. And then, and the fact that I think it is an amazing thing that they can get together two total strangers and create a life—it's like magic. Yeah. But it takes a lot of work, and because you are two different individuals. So, I um, I think that in my case, um, I was watching my son growing up and. Um, can I go that?
0: You can go down wherever you you want to go. Well, well, there's questions I want to ask, but also this is a free flowing conversation. So,
1: okay. Yeah. I was watching my son growing up. But, well, I devoted my life to him because only because I love him so much and I I I wanted to create a good home for him, which yeah. I think I did. And uh, he should be I I helped him in his studies, but he was he was a very good student on his own, and then um I am watching from step behind steps, like on on a stage, yeah, my son's evolution in his life, and um, I must say that he is my greatest success,
2: okay, I like that
1: yeah, he is definitely because of only the way number one the way he behaves in life and his and his um mentality and what he expects of other people because he gives also but he is um he knows what is right and what is wrong and sometimes i wonder how he knows that and i know why now because he researches everything yeah He's forever researching. When I call and I ask him what are you doing, and he said, "I'm just researching something," and, I, and he found the answer to it, and he's happy. And I think that um, the type of person that he is, uh, I'm very proud of him because he is—he is really a. Gonna, uh, what we call—I was going to say it in French. <laughs> gonna, what we still, <laughs> uh, what we call in our language in Judaism is is a mensch, which right. means he's a real nice human being.
2: Yeah,
0: and I'm sure maybe maybe he learned some things on his own, but I'm sure he he got some things from you, and uh, you can definitely tell where the his his lineage goes from. Um, but I wanted to talk also about where your life start. I wanted to talk about how your childhood was leading up to the Holocaust, and even before, just how you grew up and what your family life was like. Um,
1: okay. Well, I grew up in an Orthodox home, Okay. but it was not... Uh,
0: in, fr- in France?
1: Yes, in Paris. Okay. And it was never, you know, my father was very strict with the religion, but strict with a lot of kindness. Yeah. And uh, made us understand what we needed to be, to become. My brothers were orthodox more than I was because I was a baby. Yeah. I was spoiled. (laughs) I was actually so spoiled. You the youngest? I was a baby. Okay. I mean, there was a big difference between my oldest brother and I, 15 years. Yeah. So, um, I had three brothers. Mm-hmm. I had uh, the youngest brother's name was Maurice, and he unfortunately was picked up in Paris and uh, he, he died in Auschwitz mm-hmm. at the age of 17, which is, which uh, there isn't a day that goes by that I don't think about him because, sure. first of all, he, he was talking about. Nice people with good character. He did have that.
2: Yeah,
1: and um, total loss to lose him. It was terrible. My other two brothers were uh, living at home, and they were when the war broke out and my brother was taken to Auschwitz. They decided to go into the French underground. Gotcha. And uh, my oldest brother became a captain in the French Underground. What was
0: the what exactly was the French Underground?
1: French Underground was that they were the the the, the whole idea was to destroy mostly um, the trains that came through France gotcha. with the um ammunitions. Mm-hmm. So they
0: to sabotage not. They sabotage it, yeah operations. Cause. Yeah,
1: and my oldest brother was—he was going to one year to med school, and when the war broke out, he had to quit. So, he decided to go into the French underground. Took my brother, my second brother David,
2: mm-hmm.
1: to with him, but under another name so that they wouldn't sure. be identified as brothers. Yeah, and um, so. At the age of uh, seven and a half, I was playing outside. Do you want to hear my story? Yeah. I was playing outside of our house. I was playing hopscotch with two of my friends who were not Jewish. I was the only Jewish child. Also, you have to understand that all, as soon as Hitler came in to to France, we had to wear the Jewish star on all our clothing. So we were identified, no matter the, where we were walking in the street, everybody looked at you in a strange way like we were animals or something. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I was, I was playing hopscotch when I, with my friends, so and all of a sudden a truck came, stopped at the corner of the street, and two SS men came out and looked at our clothing and I was the only one with the Jewish stars, so they picked me up. They picked me up and they put me in a, uh, I mean, they, they threw me into this truck. And and a few minutes before that, like a half hour prior to that, I was having lunch with my parents in the kitchen. Yeah. And my whole life changed from the moment that they threw me in that truck, I was bewildered, I didn't understand, seven and a half.
0: And they didn't say anything when they, did they tell you anything about where they were going or what they were doing, or they just picked you up and...
1: Just picked you up, threw you in the back of the truck, and there was, and the truck was a very large one, and it was filled with people. Yeah. The odor was, it was... A hot day, the perspiration—I never right. forgot that—and and the cleanliness was less than you would like, and and it was uh, very frightening because there were all these adults.
0: At and seven years old, you're you're alone in
1: uh, alone, and all of a sudden your life changes. Yeah. But also, I must say that before um, the truck took off uh, over and we drove away. I saw my mother from the balcony. My mm. father pulled her back.
0: So they saw you be taken away. They
1: saw me. And then they, my father pulled my mother back, because, and he did well, because had she screamed out of, opened up the balcony windows or whatever, they would have been killed and right. for no reason. So the the truck drove to Grenoble, which is quite a few hours, I would say about six, seven hours. We drove to a, a transition camp, which is a triage camp, actually. And from that camp, every morning they came in and they took people to different concentration camps. Now... The camp where I was was a triage camp where nobody got killed. I mean, okay. unless you behaved, and sure. now and then you felt you heard some shotguns going off. But when they came in to take the people every day, those people were selected to go to different concentration camps, which were the death camps, actually.
2: Right, and. and
1: we'll- Quickly, you learn that the system that they have. Sure. They come in like this. They come in. They take the people in the front. So I always was hiding in the back.
0: I was gonna say, how did you avoid being?
1: I was hiding in the back. I was laying down. <laughs> I was, I was. Found you were small. The, yeah. And and you become smart very quick. Sure. Uh, for survival, you really become smart very quickly.
0: I mean, at seven years old, all of a sudden you need to fend for yourself. You gotta. It's amazing you learned. You learned pretty quick, and
1: you do. And, and and the thing is that you're so frightened that many many times I urinated on myself sure. when I saw them coming in of because because the Germans never spoke; they barked. To me, it was like like dogs were barking because they wanted to terrify you. That was their whole idea, that they wanted to be superior to you and you were nothing and they were everything. And you had better behave the way he asked, they asked you to do it, otherwise you were a dead one. Yeah. So they wanted to scare you very much. And they always had these dogs with them that made them Mm. bark and, and you were scared. Yeah. Because a dog could if they would let it go, it uh, could kill you. For sure. So every day that was that was what was happening. I was Did you
0: did you understand exactly like what you're at se- you're 7 years old? Do you understand that these people like what I mean it's hard to comprehend exactly what's happening when you're that young. Did you just understand I need to survive today and that was
1: well, the thing that I think I understood a little bit more being in, the, in, the, in that triage camp is from, in the back of my mind, I remembered the conversations that went home, that we had at home, that my parents had, because I was a little kid that didn't talk to me about it. Yeah. But I heard my parents talk about the fact that you have to be Extremely careful and not talk back. If you are taken, right. if you were taken, so
2: they there was you always an if.
1: Yeah, you were taking. And when my brothers would walk out of the house, my my parents were shivering, wondering if the kids were coming back home. But when I was taken away, there was a system in France that whoever they picked up they had to report to the police stations. And my father had a friend who happens to be the police chief of the area. He was playing ping pong with him. He was a gentile man. He was a Christian man who was very, very very understanding and uh, was totally against the regime of Hitler and all this. And at that point, when when he saw on the on the the list, the list of the kids, the people, the right. adults who were taking that day, he saw my name. When he saw my name, he came to my father and told him, "I'll do anything to 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 help you." Yeah. And he knew in what camp I was, but he had no access to it. Right. So what what he did do is. He suggested to my parents to camouflage the house and make believe that nobody was living there, and that my parents lived in the house the whole war.
0: The entire war.
1: The entire war, and he he came and he brought them food on the black market and all this. But I mean, he was he was a real uh, friend of my father, and yeah. uh,
2: so consequently,
1: lives. he knew where I was. So what I imagine, they con- my father hum- somehow contacted my brothers and my oldest brother. Also, what I have to mention is my mother was a kind of a, sort of a linguist, and she insisted on teaching us several languages. One was German, and we spoke what is called Hochdeutsch, the literary German. Sure. So. I understood everything the Germans were saying, mm. which was a big thing for me because, I could, I could hide. A little better, you know. I knew what was going to happen before yeah. they came in, but to come back to my um, this uh, gentleman, who was the chief of police, he contacted my oldest brother in the, in the um, French underground and said your sister was taken.
2: Yeah.
1: So, I was in the triage camp for a little more than three months, which were like three years. Yeah, I'm sure. And also, one big, uh, something that Stayed in my mind as a child is uh, I was very French. Okay. The, my, I, I was very French. That was my country, and don't touch it. Yeah. When the when the truck picked me up and they drove down the Champs Elysees, which is the most beautiful avenue of Paris.
2: Yeah.
1: They draped from the top of the of the houses. The houses, some of them were six floor high. Six, seven floor highs. They draped the the, uh, German flag. Sure. Which was red background, blood red background with the black swastika. Right. And I remember at that age I felt so offended. I felt that Like they came into my country and raped it. Hmm. I felt so offended. And then when I spoke to my brothers about it later on when we got together, they said, why do you feel so strongly? I said, this is my country. At the time, I I was probably thinking that I would live there forever, you know. But I was very offended by that and very hurt. And uh, it means a lot in my story because a lot of students say, have remarks about it. Hmm. So, after being there for three and a half months, I think it was, suddenly one day I see my oldest brother walking in with a with a SS man. Wow. He walks up straight towards me, he yeah. look, looks around, he walks up straight to me and I'm supposed to not recognize him. I understood right away that I'm not supposed to know him. Yeah. And he speaks in this assessment he says, I want 2 I'm looking around, he went like this with his hands behind his back and he walks around and he says, I'm looking for two kids. I want two kids to come with me.
2: So
0: who is he pretending to be at this point?
1: You, um...
0: And a, a soldier as well? Yeah. Huh.
1: He was wearing his uniform.
2: Ah, gotcha, okay.
1: And he came in and, and he walked straight over to me and he's looking straight at me and I'm supposed to not recognize him and yeah. I don't move. And uh, my brother walks around and he says, is there another child? He said, I want two children. It was a f- smart move. Had he just taken me, right, right. would have been too suspicious. And the, the, the SS man says to him, jawohl, yeah, take, take the two kids. Yeah. We are nothing, you know, we're just merchandise. Right. And he walks us out to my brother's car. My brother had a driver. And he walks out to the car. He puts puts me, my brother says, I'll take you and he takes me because he didn't want the, 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 that German guy to touch me.
2: Yeah.
1: He, he takes me and he says, you go in the back of the car. In a little rough way, you know. And to the other little girl that, he, that we we got, also, good.
0: Right, he couldn't, you couldn't show lenience.
1: He to took the two children. No preferences, nothing. Yeah. And uh, the SS man says, thank you so much for coming. And he salutes him. Huh. And we take off. My brother has the driver. He says to him, go on. He says... And he knew exactly where to go, my brother. And we drove. And for maybe... Three, four hours, he didn't even turn around. I think he was in shock that he pulled it off. Yeah. <laughs> and, mean, he, and he turned around.
0: It sounds like a movie.
1: Yeah, he turned around and he grabs me and, and he hugs me and he kisses me and he said, I'll take you to safety. Yeah. And he said, I asked him if, if mommy knew, you know, and I talked to him for all the while that we were driving.
0: Do you remember what the feeling was when you, you know, you finally realized you're out of there?
1: I urinated on myself. Huh. I remember that. And I was ashamed that I did. Sure. And then because my mother always taught me how to be prop, clean sure. and all this, you know. At 7 and and uh,
0: I mean your body's trying to deal with all this Stress, uh,
1: terrible.
2: Yeah.
1: And he takes me to takes us this, this. takes the little girl. The little girl was not even Jewish. She was the daughter of a political prisoner. Ah. Because the father was against the Hitler regime, and he was sp- speaking about it. So eventually they shot the poor man, and she was she was taken away. Yeah. The mother later on picked her up. Um, Nicole was with me all the time. Isn't Nicole your girlfriend? Right? It is my girlfriend's name. <laughs> Funny.
0: That, was the, that was the other little girl's name? Yeah. Wow. She was, was she also from France?
1: She was from France and she was about six years old.
0: Yeah.
1: She was frightened all the time. She was always sure. hugging me and staying close to me and my brother took us to a convent near grenoble which is the center of the central part of france mm-hmm. and um we 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 got to the uh, to the convent and the mother superior opened up the door she was bright this wide and just short <laughs> but she was full of chocolate, because she ate chocolate all the time. <laughs> she ate chocolate all the time, but she yeah. was such a good human being.
2: Yeah.
1: She really saved my sanity at that point, because mm-hmm. she took such good care of me. She said she had uh, what you call, in retrospect, you know, she had the goodness in her heart, totally. And that a child was a child, and no matter what, probably, I mean, this is my deduction of it, but Mm -hmm. she was probably thinking, Jewish, not Jewish, whatever they are, this is a child in needs care. And she says to me, I'm taking, you're gonna be here safe, and I'll take care of you, but you have to promise me one thing. And I said, what? And she had a big round face, And she said, not to tell anybody you're Jewish. And she had the sensitivity, I mean, those little things that I remember. She took me to a passage in the convent, and she says, this way you won't see Jesus. Because she says, I know that you're not allowed to kneel. Ah. I would kneel to save my life because yeah. I was raised that way. Right, right. But she said that, and I said, "I was really, I was really impressed." I didn't say right, anything. She took but the
0: extra
2: care.
1: I really, yeah, extra care. And every day she says, "I'll take you to school, and you're not to tell anybody that you're Jewish." I'll take you to school outside of the convent. Now the little girl Nicole stayed in the convent because. She was Catholic, so she could go along the whole the program that they had.
0: Right. Your parents weren't there at this point.
1: My parents were home.
2: Right, right.
1: And um, my parents knew where I was okay. through the channels of this wonderful uh, chief of police, I'm right. sure. Because I, we never talked about it, but my mother didn't mention it, so it's, it was probably done that way. Um, so I was there for. Uh, I went out and uh, to school, and I became the best student because I couldn't talk to anybody. I was afraid to to betray myself. Yeah. So I became the best student, which was not bad. And then uh, one day, she the Germans were coming around the, the properties, and the churches and the convents to look for children. Mostly for children, because that was our, f- our future. And uh, she took me out in the forest. And she, in her haste, she was afraid to grab something. I was there for three days wow. uh, by myself in the forest. And it was in the middle of the summer, and I ate uh, fruits that were green. I got sick. I was Just that were, gro- that were growing? Huh?
0: That you found in the forest? Yeah. Wow.
1: She forgot to give me food. She ah. just, you know, she... You just left? She just left. She says, stay here. I'll come and pick you up. And I was there for two days. She didn't come for two days. She couldn't come.
0: Did you at one point think, you know, she's not, she's not coming?
1: No, I didn't think that. Okay. I, I just con- connected with her very quickly. She was, um, even though, the, you know, in retrospect, now that you're asking me that, it was pretty smart of my on my part. To stay. To think so.
0: Ah, well, yeah, yeah, that's for sure.
1: You know, I had a lot of time to think, but I only was so young. Yeah. Gee, I must pat myself on my back. <laughs> now we can we can laugh about it, but believe right. me, it was no fun. She used to pick me up from school and always with a croissant with chocolate. Mm-hmm. She loved chocolate, and I'm not crazy about chocolate. Okay. She loves, so she ate a lot of chocolate. And she always told me that I will be okay and that my parents... My parents are, are going to be happy to see me. She didn't know if they were alive or what, but she right. told me a story. Okay. And that I have to be strong, and she encouraged me, and she said, even if you don't like the food, you have to eat the food. And, I mean, I never ate pork, and I had to eat pork. You know, oh, wow. That's what they served. And I didn't want to eat it. I felt guilty about it, and... Then she said, you have to eat it because it's good protein or whatever. She talked me into it. And then one day, she says to me, you have to leave. Hmm. You can't stay because the Germans are all over the place and they're looking for children.
0: What does that mean, they're looking for children? Looking for Jewish children? Yeah. And how would they have known that you were Jewish in the end? With
1: the tag that we had to wear. We but you
0: weren't wearing it at that time, no.
1: No. But so they, they were there was looking always for, a chance that they were looking for Jewish children in Jewish in in schools because
0: they knew you were, were hiding. Yeah,
1: and they knew that that uh, Jewish kids were going to school. Gotcha. But they had they had to wear the uh, the Star of David, and and uh, we were not arrested all the time because when we were walking in the streets, the Germans were not everywhere. Yeah. You know, just in certain places. And then they came, particularly in the subways and in the where a lot of people were, but they came also in the schools.
2: Yeah.
0: Um she said said you had to leave.
1: We have to you you you're gonna have to leave and somebody will come and pick you up to take you to a family. A family because there were many people who took in Jewish families at the risk of their own lives. Yeah. Some did it out of the goodness of their heart and because it was the right thing to do to save somebody from germ from the SS. But if if an SS or if a, a soldier would come into a home and see german i mean jewish kids the whole family would be shocked right so they were taking a big chance so some people did it because they thought it was the right thing to do and the other people did it for the money because people paid a lot of money to be in hiding sure diamond rings and whatever they had i mean there was no price for you to save your life yeah it was chaos, it was horrible. And and and, and that when you were close to these uh, Germans that, like I said before, they barked. They sounded to me like they were barking. They w- spoke so loud. And, and, and at home we spoke in a normal tone, which was, I never heard my father even scream at me. Right. So it was a total change for me to, to be adapted to it. And I had no choice to just go with the flow, so to speak. Yeah, and so,
0: I, I don't want to take you too far off the story, but was there ever before, as this was happening, was there ever a thought, okay, we should need to get out of here as a family, or we need to leave our home, or... Because that was always... I you mean
1: in the beginning of yeah, the... Yeah, yeah. Everything was so fast right that we didn't have a chance everything went so fast from one day to another they invaded really? paris and that was it they came like how could i picture it masses of people they came with with trucks unloading trucks maybe 50 guys were in there soldiers
0: yeah so it, it, that that's the that's the answer. <laughs> there just wasn't enough time, and no, it no, happened within days.
1: Some people were in the later on as mm-hmm. I grew up and I came home, I, and I heard stories over the years of this family, that family, friends of ours, who who went through in the very beginning when when the Germans invaded France. In the very beginning, they left. Yeah. They left, they left everything and they left, they saved their lives. My father didn't take that initiative, you know. Um,
0: I mean, this is, it's such an unexpected and almost unreal thing that I'm sure it wasn't like, okay, it's hard to see the future, you know.
1: Right, absolutely. They came in like, It was really an invasion. Right. They didn't let you know that they're coming, you know.
0: That would be bad for the invasion.
1: Right. (laughs) And for Paris especially. In Paris there were a lot of Jewish people living. Sure. But like they came into the east part of France, near Germany and the the Alsace Lorraine, which is a part that divides France from Germany. People who lived there, they left immediately. They went to Switzerland.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Switzerland opened up their doors. It was okay to come in. And if you had money, you could buy yourself into things like that sure. to, to be safe. But to, it was too fast. Yeah. My aunt, my mother's sister, for example, was taken with the children to a camp. And through my oldest brother, who knew this one, who knew that one, and the other one, he saved their lives too. Wow. But it cost a fortune. And um, but money was had no value, you right. know. It's you save your life.
2: Yeah.
1: And so then, when I came into that family, now there were families, like I said, who really did it out of the goodness of the heart and, and knew that it was the right thing to do to save a family's life i mean a life you save yeah uh, they were not jewish and they they thought that they were that was the right thing to do so they had people well i went into this family who my brother got a hold of and he didn't have time to to examine the, the, the people who they were, I suppose, we never spoke about it, they were hard anti-Semitism.
2: Yeah.
1: anti Semit. And they said, you Jews have all the money, and and she beat me up for nothing. Hmm. I mean, I still have, except today, but most of the time I have a scarf around my neck because I still have pain in my neck I grew up with the pain in my neck because she used to hit me. And wow. you dirty Jew. You. One day I said to her that I am not dirty. I wash myself every day. I said, and my mother <laughs> told me how. You know, as a kid. And, proud kid, yeah. You know, and you're, you're a proud kid. And... And I really did watch myself video. Yeah. (laughs) But.
0: You took it literally. I did.
1: Yeah. I I was offended by it as Mm -hmm. a kid. So the only connection that we had with the outside world was, we didn't have TVs in those days, of course, with the radio. And then one day at lunchtime, I heard the prime minister of England, Churchill, who hated Hitler with a passion, he actually from politically speaking, his his strength was so his convictions were so strong that he saved England. He was so he was such a devoted citizen and understood that Hitler was no good. Yeah. so I heard I heard him say like this. Mr. Hitler, you know, he was very, um, how do you say? Proper with his speech. Yeah, you know, hated him. Yeah. And he said, um, how did he, I, I don't remember exactly the words, the way he said it, but he said that they were the Germans were... He didn't say the Germans were capitulating. He was saying that the Americans are on the the outskirts of Paris to liberate France. Mm. And I I was crazy. I I right away understood that something good is going to happen. So two days later, my parents came with my brother, with my two brothers, to pick me up.
0: So in total, this was how long after you were picked up by the Germans?
1: Fourteen and thirty, fourteen months and thirteen months, twenty-seven months.
0: Probably felt like.
1: It felt like fourteen a, years. A, a thousand years. Yeah. And I asked my brother if the driver could drive down the Champs Elysees, mm. and. We drove down the Champs-Élysées and the flags were gone. Instead the American and the French flag was
0: I was crazy about this. Um, I mean I can't imagine the joy, the the relief, the, the, the amazing. Yeah. And then
1: we drove up the Champs-Élysées and we were our home was maybe 15 minutes from the Champs-Élysées. We came home, and I looked everywhere for Maurice, for my brother. Yeah. I don't remember how they told me that he wasn't coming back. I don't remember. So they, are,
0: they already knew what had happened at that time.
1: Yeah. And uh, because my brother was had, he was going to school, so he had paper, and he, he had an envelope, and he threw the envelope through the slot of... Of the of the train that took him to Auschwitz, mm. it was it was a, a not a regular train. It was an animal train. You were
2: right. where they
1: bring animals, in. there was no seat. There was nothing for them. Everything was calculated to demoralize you, right. take your spirit away and he threw the slot, he threw the, the the envelope out and some good soul put a stamp on it
2: and, and sent, sent it a out.
1: letter to my mother and my yeah. mother and the letter that he wrote was, if I don't come back, tell my brothers to take good care of my sister. That's crazy. Yeah, it was.
0: You just get chills.
1: Yeah. So I was looking everywhere for him, and he wasn't there.
0: I mean, the fact that that letter even made it is. A
1: I mean, some good soul put it. You see that you don't have to do miracles. You just have to be a good human being. You know that this letter was supposed to go someplace, and there was no stamp. Yeah. And I mean,
0: someone did one little action. Somebody
1: did an action that was that was good and bad. My mother read it her whole life. Sure. My mother kept the letter her whole life. When my yeah. mother passed away, actually, the letter was in by her in her nightstand.
0: So she she not She couldn't never. Go she, yeah,
1: you can imagine the heartache. Yeah. So anyway, we uh, life started again, but it wasn't the same.
0: I was gonna say, how do you you don't just pick up where you left off? I mean. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, my father was uh, one of six brothers and sisters. Okay. Nobody came back. My father was the only one that was saved because of the circumstances. The last Passover that we had, we had tables and chairs everywhere in the house, more than ever before. And I remember that the seder was so long. I remember that it was so long that I took all my cousins and told them to tie the shoelaces of all the men, of all the <laughs> underneath the Together? Yeah, so that they couldn't get out. <laughs> I remember my father asking, who, de- who decided to do this? Yeah. And I said, I did. And he says, well, you're going to be punished for that because you interrupted the seder. Yeah. I don't remember how I was punished. It couldn't be very much. <laughs> that it didn't affect me. But we had so many people for the seder. And then the next seder, we were eight. Wow. It was sad.
0: Yeah, I'm sure... Once that came around, that sort of put it in perspective.
1: Yeah, and, and, and I have images, you know, of how my life began again. And I remember that on the side of the kitchen, there was a uh, an extra tray. And that tray was always filled with side candles,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, the memorial candles.
0: And you're still very young at this point. How How did you... I guess, deal with the emotion that came and, I mean, you don't, when you're a kid, you don't really know how to deal with something like, I mean, less than adult, much less than adult.
1: I went back to school. I found my three friends and uh, I thought anti-Semitism was gone. Yeah. And one day my family is together and one day I come home from school and my school was like five blocks away so i walked to school and sometimes my my father or my mother somebody picked me up on the way back from when school was over and took me to the park or something or did errands and but as a rule i came home by myself i like to come to walk because my friends were walking and we were walking this one went here this one went there you know and and I enjoyed walking, so... And then one day, it was pouring rain. And my, my... my Nobody came to pick me up, so I was going by myself. And this guy... Oh, I have to tell you that... There are, there are houses in Paris that have like an... You step in first, and then is a courtyard. Gotcha. So when you step in like this, it's part of the door. Okay. It's a heavy, very heavy door. Those heavy doors were from many, many years before, and they kept them that way because it was part of the beauty of the building. Okay. So, I'm walking, and somebody behind me pushes me into that door. And it is a guy that's about 18 years old. It was written all over his face that he was an anti Semit. And he pushes me and he says, I thought they killed you hmm. because they must have heard that I was taken away.
0: Did you know the guy?
1: Yeah, from school. Oh. Our school was divided in two. One side was boys and the other uh, side was uh, girls. And during recess, they opened up the doors and the boys and the girls got together and played ball or whatever. We had a recess of, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes, whatever. And I saw him all the time. And every time I saw him, he was very uh, nasty. And uh, I didn't like him, but I always said hi to him and that was it. Sure. And then when he said that, so my knee opened up because he pushed me. And I came home bleeding. My father says, what happened to you? And I said, I fell on the side of the door, of the the trottoir, the the sidewalk. Yeah. I didn't tell my father what happened. Why not? Because I knew that... In, in the in the dining room, my brother has had his belt he
2: would have gone with the gun something.
1: sitting there, and my brother said, "Don't touch this," and I said, "I won't." I remember that. But I saw that he didn't use it anymore, right? But he kept the the so leather you're... the leather belt with the gun yeah. with the holster. It's a holster, right? A leather holster. And I knew my brother would kill him. I I just knew it.
2: So you because you he said
1: when I came back, he said nobody will ever harm
2: you. Yeah.
1: So I never said anything to him, but maybe 40, 50 years later, we were talking about one day. I said, "Remember when I fell and all this?" He says, "Yeah. Why didn't you say, didn't you say anything about it? How you fell?" And I said, This boy, he said, you would, Why didn't you tell me? I said, Because I know what you would have done.
0: <laughs> what
1: did he say? He said, You're right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was very, very smart of you. For his, uh, his
1: well, you imposing. grow up fast.
0: Yeah, I guess
2: so. And
1: circumstances like this, you grow up fast. Yeah. After this, I remember when I came home and I wanted to be. Uh, held by my father and loved by my mother and all this, I would sometimes say, I don't feel good, you know. I never did that again.
2: Hmm.
0: And how, I mean, I, I've known you for a little bit now, and yeah. you're a very generally happy and, and positive person. How did How did you not let hate consume you? And I feel like you also see the good in people and I feel like that for someone who's been through a similar thing, that might be very hard.
1: I I see the good in people, and if I see the bad in people, I step away because I can't help them. Uh, I'm not here to help them. They, they they they're too anchored in their in their way of thinking, but. Um, I love people. I, I I have good friends, and we talk about different things. And I think that uh, p- people are basically very good, but it's the people that they associate with, or or what they listen on on TV, on radio, and they cannot make up their own mind what is good and what is bad but I think everybody in what they if they really sit down and think about themselves they know that they have a bad feeling yeah they have to stop that
0: so I'm sure you've probably thought about it since then but did you ever think about how did we get to this point because I mean the worst circumstance came out of it, and so how, I guess, how do you think people get to the point where they let go of all humanity and...
1: I don't know. I don't know, but I can't I can't understand that a country like Germany, who was, I remember when my mother was talking about Germany before the war, she was talking with, with family members or friends who were at the house, how uh, distinguished they were from other countries. They were uh, well behaved. They had. Um, my mother was crazy about behavior, and manners, yeah. and and uh, the way you behave with a with a person that you just meet, and and uh, to listen to them, and you learn so much, and then you can exchange ideas and stuff. I can't understand that a country that was so educated like Germany right. did what they did. I, can't un- I can never understand that because I am not a hero, but nobody could force me to kill somebody. I know that for sure. Yeah. Nobody can, c- could tell me kill and kill. I, c- I couldn't do it and I wouldn't do it. So I don't understand how one maniac like Hitler was. A sick human being, of course.
0: Yeah. Well, he was very smart, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, I think he...
1: But why did he want to exterminate us? And he put it in their heads. Yeah. I mean, he had such a power when... First of all, I think that he didn't, he never spoke, he barked. Yeah. He sounded like, so already he terrorized you. Listen to me. And then you were listening. And, and the whole country, I mean, these people, you, you had doctors, you had philosophers, um, people who were educated. He convinced them in no time to do what they did. But nobody ever did anything like this. Sometimes I think about it, that the concentration camps, do you know what a concentration camp was? Torture. And in my heart, I think, for my brother who passed away, and I hope that in the gas chamber, when he went into the gas chamber, that he was close enough to the...
2: So it happened fast. So
1: he died fast. The closer you were, you died fast, right? But even for me to be, to be in thinking about this, the impact that this left, this horrible situation left. But if I think about it, I would go crazy. I can't yeah. let myself do that.
0: So you've you've successfully not dwelled on the
2: past.
1: I don't. I can't. The only thing that I'm doing is talking and telling the story because it has to be told for next generations for the new gen for this generation to understand how easy it is to fall into this right. trap and how strong you have to be And to, I realized that I was pretty strong.
2: Uh, Yeah, I
0: would say so. And so, how did you, we're now in the United States. How did you end up here?
1: Well, I came to the United States because my, my oldest brother got married after the war.
0: How old were you when you came?
1: I came, I was 20. Okay. I wasn't even 20, 19, I think I was. And I came in uh, fifty six. And um, the reason I came was, my brother David, the second one, who was g- gorgeous as can be. Every woman was after him like he was, <laughs> <laughs> I remember. Came to the United States because my father, after the war um was found by his sister who lived in new york oh wow yeah
0: so he that was was that his only family member that he ended up finding
1: yeah they lived in new york they oh. came from poland to to the states, never to france yeah and they had their lives here in my my who ah, so became, even
0: before the war they were yeah they before the war gotcha. they were
1: they were quite well to do because they had a, a factory of gotcha something so after the war when the war broke after the war ended the the sister made researches who was alive and found my father Wow. and uh got in touch with my father and asked him to come to America. So he came to New York. And the day that my father went to New York, I felt, I, I was sick. I got sick with scarlet fever. Mm. My father said, she doesn't want me to leave. And I said, no, I have, I'm I'm itching everywhere. And I said, Papa, I remember, I, I was always teasing my father. I said, Papa, you'll be sorry to see to see me without the spots, because <laughs> you know I was a kid, I've spoiled rotten. I mean, I never left my brothers alone. I was always with them, especially yeah. with my two oldest brothers. What did you do? Where are you going? Was Why that the same
0: you- relationship you had with them before
2: the war
1: always yeah my my middle brother said to me one day he said, I was hanging on to him, and he says to me like this go in the dining room and see fast if I'm there. And I started to run towards the dining room. I realized, how can I be in the dining room and there? <laughs> to say you know, just, just, I would, I would hang on to my brothers. I loved yeah. them so much. I wanted to know everything. And they took me many places where a kid doesn't go, usually. If they had a luncheon with a friend, they would take me with them.
0: Well, you weren't really a kid anymore at that point. Yeah.
1: But. Right, that's true. But what happened, so David, uh, so my father came to America for, I think, two or three months, then came back to Paris, then David wanted to come to the United States, and my aunt uh, made the papers for him to come, and he came because he wanted he was a fabulous dancer.
2: Okay.
1: He would dance like Gene Kelly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We had a piano at home and he danced on top of the piano and my father was running after him. I'm gonna hit you. He never touched him. And he came to to Los Angel to New York, stayed in New York for a while and then came to Los Angeles because he wanted to go to Hollywood and become a an actor oh wow so he stood in line for many times and nothing ever happened Mm -hmm. so he made his life here for quite a few years he was here I think 11 to 12 years and every other year he came to Paris to visit with the family and that year I was gonna go into college and he said, uh, "I. He was crazy about me, my little sister, and I was not a little. I mean, was a young woman already. My little sister, I want to take you to Hollywood, and my father agreed to let me go. Wow. So I came and I lived with him for a few months. Oh, that was the best time ever. <laughs> we, were, we were. He showed me everything, and. Yep. But." He was very strict. I was dating. And uh, he took the driver's license of the guy before I went out.
0: I like that.
1: Yeah, he wanted to, you know. Because he said to me, if something happens to you, Papa will kill me.
0: Yeah, I'm sure.
1: So I I stayed here for a while. And actually, I never went back. (laughs) I I stayed here. And I met Kirk's father. How? He came in to neighbors who were friends of my brother. And my brother had then a party in his house. And he invited and said, if you have time, you can, well, you're welcome to come. And he was a great dancer. Mm. And I loved dancing. So from one thing to another he, he was he was a yeshiva boy mm-hmm. but he wasn't religious here he was working gotcha um, and uh, fell in love and that was How that came Kirk and then came <laughs> Kirk and then then after a few years it didn't work out so then I remarried with another man who became Kirk's stepdad but they had a very good relationship and and I was happy that he, um, he, he was really a devoted son to him. Until the end, Kirk was with him, spent a lot of time in the hospital with him and he said to him, uh, you know, Kirk, you have to go home to your family and he said, no dad, this is my place to be here with you. He was a very devoted son to him. Amazing. Yeah.
0: And how, um, how has your previous experiences affected your priorities in your life? What do you, what do you see as what's important?
1: Well, the most important thing always was in my life, Prior to the war, well, maybe not prior to the war because I was a child, but uh, my priorities is the behavior of people, how they are to each other, and uh, I think that if the people don't start to realize that you have to be kinder than you are and look around and help each other and... It would be a much better world.
0: I agree. And
1: understanding that not everybody thinks like you do. And to yeah. give them a chance to be themselves.
0: So something I've started to to understand, because I've noticed that even, even with my girlfriend, sometimes we have differing opinions.
2: Of course. Which is a good
0: thing. Of course. But a lot of times I would go straight to trying to either change her opinion or have her see it the way I did. But that's not what I actually would be good for us or what I want. So I sort of to kind of realized that to it's better to understand someone before you try to change them.
1: Absolutely. But if it is a political thing, then you might as well give up.
0: Yeah, yes and no, I, I think I think a little more understanding from everyone. Or trying to understand the Uh, other side. Give me an
1: example for you that you have with her.
0: That's a good question. Um, An example I have with her. Um,
1: Also, you're an American.
0: Yeah, so that that is different.
1: That Um, is different.
0: She's she's Israeli. Um, Well, I can't think of... Don't you remember right one
1: one of the
0: things I have a terrible when it comes to things we've talked about, like specifics, I have a terrible memory. Um, but it doesn't have to be something big, Like even if even if she has maybe a certain friend that I from the outside I see maybe is not that the right person, right? Maybe isn't the best influence, but they have a lot of history and immediately I go and try to say, you know, why Why would you even spend time... With, like, I don't consider the fact that maybe she's built memories and built a connection with this person. So instead of trying to understand, okay, maybe where she's coming from uh, and what's holding her to that, I, like, I would say... You, you jump know, to conclusions. Right.
1: Can't do that, though.
0: It's yeah, not I,
1: It's not easy. It's not. It's not easy because what you feel is the right thing because you are who you are you feel the right thing and for nicole it isn't because she has a history with that person so if if that person if you don't like her i would suggest you just don't even talk about it and and let nicole do whatever she has been doing up to now
2: Yeah,
0: I'll give you I'll give you actually a better example. And I hope he doesn't get mad at me for sharing this. But no, uh, so I was in I was in the car the other day with my brother, Chad, and he's been vaping for a while. And um, I don't think it's the best thing. And previously, and maybe he'll look back on this conversation because I didn't tell him that this is how I thought of it. But maybe he'll look back on the conversation like, oh, that was maybe better how you asked it. So we were in the car going to the gym. And he vapes in the car and it, I can smell it. And immediately I'm like, I want to yell at him and say, you know, like, don't, why are you trying to kill yourself? Like, don't do this to yourself. And I knew, I, th- I thought about it right before I said it. And I thought, um, all we're going to do is get into an argument if I just yell at him and, and make him try to feel bad. So I asked him, well, what do you think about vaping? And from there it went into, well, I actually don't want to vape. I, I think it will kill me or it will be bad he for said that. yeah he said that which kind of blew my mind and then we got into a, a productive conversation after that of okay well what's what's where's the gap right now between you stopping and you knowing that it's bad for you and so we started to talk about how we can make that better and how we can improve that versus what would have happened would have just been him like leave me alone you know like don't bother me or but what? you didn't say that no but because i didn't i didn't yell at him i didn't say you yeah know, don't do this or what I didn't tell him I, I asked him
1: well you know he does it because it makes him feel better
0: maybe about himself maybe
1: yeah because he gets into another stage
0: stage what do you mean stage
1: level of conversation of what's happening around ah him. you're saying
0: for the com- that's that's why the conversation went, went better yeah yeah I agree I agree so that, that was kind of my example of that. but that's something I've been starting to understand that Versus, you're not you're not going to get anywhere if you just tell someone your how you think, because it's they have different experiences, different life. And so I wanted to sort of close it a little bit with we sort of touched on it also that you speak weekly um, to different all different types of people about your story and it's not an easy thing to talk about.
1: It's- no, it's not. But I tell you what the reason that it becomes easier for me is that. I can I can see that from the years that I've been doing this, which is about I think four or five years now yeah, um, the impact that I make on the people really? on, the, on the students I get I get packages sent through through the museums of the school because nobody gets my address. you yeah. know we don't do that yeah, we live in a crazy world. you can't do that yeah so. Um with where the kids said even even yesterday I got a little package from kids who said that they will never forget me and wow. that it was so nice for me to talk to them. On Zoom I did that that one came from up north on Zoom. So you don't see the kids, but they see you. Yeah. And they lie and they like I like your eyes. I like, you know, you know who kids do. Anyway, they'll they be wonderful.
0: So it makes it all worth it when you get that.
1: Yeah, and I will never forget you. And I will also what they say is, uh, you if they're older people, older uh, kids like 18 years old, they say your, your advice is sitting on my desk. Hmm. That's good. Yeah. When they say that. And my advice is also always respect the other person and they will respect you.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of leading to my final question, which would be what advice would you give to the future generation and what do you hope they they get from your, or gain from your story or hear and remember?
1: Well, not to fall asleep, but to be (laughs) awake of what's going on.
2: Yes, yes.
1: To To be awake and and really
0: uh, but it's not just awake like you know you can you can be going through day to day but i guess it's more about asking questions and
1: yes asking questions and if you see something that you don't like you have to speak up you have to speak up because otherwise later on you cannot say why is this happening i didn't do anything and yeah. i saw that it was there and I didn't do anything, so I am as guilty as the predator.
0: Yeah, regrets live in the past.
1: Absolutely. You know, You, see, I, I'll give you an example, what happened to me when I was 30 years old in this country. I was wearing a high heel, Yeah. and I walked in, I was going to cross the street, and my heel broke. I must have touched something. And my heel broke, and I fell. My foot, I fell with my two feet in the street. Yeah. And here comes the bus, and I can't get up. Mm. And people are around, and I said, can you please help me to get up? Nobody moves. An old man, an old man with a stick, dropped the stick and picked me up. Wow. Out of the out of the thing. And I asked this man, I said, why did nobody... I asked all the people around me that were waiting for the bus. I said, why didn't anybody help me? And his response was, because they were afraid to be sued.
0: That's crazy. Uh
1: huh. I believe that.
0: Yeah, but... So, so,
1: where is humanity
0: right, so there's there's still a choice and and, and it's about not being so worried about the the repercussions to more focused on the right thing right amazing um so something I started doing last time with durrell i uh, I interviewed him uh, this past weekend was I'll, I'll say words. And then you it's what? Just, I'll say I'll give you a couple words. Yeah. And it's sort of an association thing. So you'll say and you'll give me a one word to a couple word response.
1: You're uh, testing me. Yeah, well, I'm <laughs> gonna
0: I'm just gonna give you a big word. And you're gonna tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. So, so the first one would be family.
1: Um, love and guidance. War. Destructive Career Important.
0: Mindset:
1: What do you mean by mindset? You have an, an opinion? Sure. That's what it, you mean?
0: Like uh, attitude per se I guess attitude's a better word.:
1: To be corrected.
0: Okay. Uh, friends.:
1: Very important.
0: The past.
1: Teaches the future. The future has to look in the past.
0: And then the last one would be time.
1: Too short. Not enough.
0: Perfect. Amazing. Um, so the way we kind of close it out here. So you do these speeches for people. Is there? How do you usually get reached out to for for speeches?
1: Oh, um, the museums. The, mu- the two gotcha. museums, the Museum of the Holocaust and the Museum of, of Tolerance, which is the Wiesenthal Center.
0: Gotcha. So if someone needed, wanted you to speak the, somewhere.
1: The, yeah, and then it replic- then it snowballs.
0: Gotcha. But and they I just
1: asked for and, Michelle, Rodri. And, uh, yeah, and uh, the schools. Gotcha. I went to one school, and then the other schools... You know, one teacher tells the other one, we have yeah. that program, and so forth. Sometimes they take me two, three times in the same school. I'm sure. I said, you didn't understand the first time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not enough people uh, got the message.
1: Yeah, they didn't get the message. <laughs> but uh, I feel that it is... It's important. Absolutely. The story must be told, because it's true, and it it's unfortunately the world hasn't learned anything hmm. from the last war
0: do you think i mean uh, i don't know how much more it would take for the understanding to come or do you think just too much as time has passed
1: no it's not too it's never too late i don't believe that I, it's never too late to to have people they're stuck so they gotta be moved you know yeah i think that people are very selfish
0: by nature for sure yeah
1: it's me 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 and preserve me yeah and help me and uh you know i have a picture in my in my head that comes time to time yeah it is written that God will never do what he did with Noah's ark. Right. He promised. But I see God watching the world. I really see it in my mind's eyes. I see it. He's watching the world and he's saying, they didn't understand what I said. Hmm. They didn't believe. Should I do it again? And recreate a new world. Because if the world doesn't change, it's going to become a jungle. People have no respect for each other. Yeah. And this is where it starts. I forgot to tell you in my story that when it. when I was finally liberated, right? Yeah. And we drove back and I said to my brother, can we drive on the Champs-Élysées? Mm-hmm. And I saw the American and French truck next to it. I forgot to tell you that the tanks were rolling down that day, the American tanks. Right. And I jumped on one of the tanks because <laughs> no the, the, they were so handsome. Oh, uh, yeah. I, the, I felt so good with them. Yeah. And they were picking me up and I was just a kid that yes. were picking me up and giving me juicy fruit gum.
2: No and when
1: I tell the story, I get packages of juicy fruit gum from the students. Yeah. But now I tell them not to because the taste is not the same. I'm sure. Yeah.
0: That's funny. But
1: uh, are you going to do the whole part, everything? You, you don't cut anything out?
0: Unless you tell me to.
1: No, I mean, it's fine.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, the beauty of it. It's just a conversation and people can choose to be there for the whole thing, part of it. And I'll, hopefully, if, I, if I'm if i not, if I take the time, I'll break it up and I'll label, okay, this, this half is what this subject is about. And so I'll, yeah. so people can go see what they want to see. And thank you so much for being here. Uh, it was, I didn't know a lot of these things and I've known you for a little while. So I was... Really looking forward to this. You can ask my parents. I've been telling them that about this, and very excited. So um, I really appreciate you taking the time. Of course. Yeah. And, prepared, whether uh, you
1: you like it or right. not, you're part of my family.
0: I guess so. I guess so. I <laughs> like it though. So that's <laughs> good. good. Um, thank you guys so much for watching. I'm hopeful. Hopefully, you guys took something positive away from this and and uh, enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, And yeah, you guys can find us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Amazon Music, and uh, we're uploading every Friday, and I look forward to the next one. So stay delusional, because success comes when you least expect it.
1: Amen to that.